Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning as we finish our series on mental health. Today we're going to be talking about how to find hope in the midst of defeat and addiction. And I'll be honest, addiction is not a very fun word to say or put on a PowerPoint on the screen. It's not a fun sounding word. None of us want to think of ourselves as having an addiction. Sadly, a few months ago, I found out I have a new addiction in my life. I was sitting on the couch next to my son, Luke. He's eight. And I was with him, but I was also not with him because I was on my phone and I was lost in Facebook or Twitter or something. I don't even remember what. And my son is not one to hide his feelings. And so because he did not like the fact that I was ignoring him, he grabbed my hands and pushed them down and sat on my lap and grabbed my face and looked me in the eye and said, Daddy, stop ignoring me. You are spending too much time on your phone. And he was right. Sometimes I love the brutal honesty of my son. I needed that to be said because I do struggle with addiction to smartphones and I know I'm not alone. Actually, the the statistics are catching up with us. We're starting to find out. Experts are now calling smartphones the cigarettes of the modern age. They're that new addiction that everyone has and we treat it as if it was no big deal, but we kind of all know better, right? We know that it's not good for us to spend so much time plugged into our devices, ignoring the people around us. It's bad for us. It's bad for our relationships. But even though we know it's bad for us, it's just so hard to put the phone down and not check it throughout the day. And that begs the question that we have to face this morning. Why is it so hard for us to stop doing things we know are bad for us? That might be looking at your smartphone. Too much time there. It might be eating too much. Maybe you struggle with overeating and you want to stop and, and you really, really commit to, to stop eating too much and yet you keep doing it and, and putting on weight. Or maybe it's alcohol. You, you just really want to stop drinking too much at night, but you keep waking up with a hangover. Maybe it's playing video games. You know you need to just step away from the console and go to the gym, and yet you keep using up hours and hours on that game. Maybe it's pornography. You know you shouldn't look. You feel guilty every time you do, and yet you keep going back there. Maybe it's criticism. You you really want to stop saying such mean things, but you just keep doing it. You don't know why those words are coming out of you. Why is it so hard for us to stop doing things We know are bad. And really the profound question for us is why is it so hard for us who are Christians? Us who who have God living inside us. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you've trusted in Jesus. You have the power of Almighty God at work in you. So why is it so hard still for us Christians to stop doing things we know are bad for us. That's the subject of bad habits and addictions. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me give you kind of a map of where we're headed. So we're going to start with the the good gift of habits that God programmed into your brain. We'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about how sin twists that good gift of habits to turn it into addictions. Then we'll talk about the two most significant passages in the Bible on the subject of bad habits and addictions. And then I'll give you four very practical steps to start having victory over a bad habit or an addiction. Now, if you look at your own life, you say, I don't, I'm not really struggling with a bad habit or an addiction. I would still encourage you to pay close attention because I absolutely guarantee you someone in your life is. 
Okay? And, and chances are good you will at some point. So you need this. This is just how you make it through life successfully. You need this material. So let's start talking about this subject. Let's start on the good side with the good gifts of habits. What is a habit? Well, a habit is simply a choice that has become automatic. So it is a choice that you make over and over again until it becomes automated. You don't have to think about it for it to happen. And if if you really think about it, most of the things that you think or say or do on a daily basis are habits. Habits are kind of how you do life, how you get through life successfully. I want you to think about what would your life be like if God had not wired your brain to create habits. Think for a moment about what it would be like to brush your teeth. If you had to actually consciously think about every movement of the toothbrush, you're sitting there brushing and you can't, you can't turn it into a habit. So you actually have to think left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down, spit. That would be brushing your teeth. You would have to be saying that to yourself. Or what about eating? If, if you couldn't automate it, if you didn't have the power to build habits, if you had to actually consciously think about the task of eating, you would have to be saying in your brain, Chew, 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 switch sides, chew, 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 swallow, too soon, chew, chew, chew. That would be what it would be like every time you sat down to eat because you could not form habits. So habits are actually an incredibly good gift that God designed into your brain to automate anything you do regularly. Okay, so that you can gain efficiency in your life so your brain can move up to higher levels of thinking. I love a book called The Power of Habit by an author named Charles Duhigg. He puts it this way. Habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit. That's a good thing. God designed in your brain, it's always looking for efficiency. So it's always taking things that you think or say or do regularly and automating them so you don't have to think about them anymore, so you can think about more important things. It's actually through habits that you can be fully human. Think about it. The only reason that you can go to lunch this afternoon with a friend and carry on a good conversation is because God designed your brain to turn eating into a habit. You do not have to think about what's going on on your plate. That just happens automatically and you can have a good conversation. So habits are a good and necessary gift that God built into your brain. That's the good news. Now the bad news. Like all good and necessary things that God designed into your body, habits have been broken by sin. Habits can be misused by sin to create addiction. In your life. And so, if you think about that habit forming mechanism that God designed into the biology of your brain, the problem with the habit forming mechanism is it doesn't make moral decisions. It doesn't know whether the thing you're doing regularly is righteous or unrighteous. It just takes anything you say, think, or do regularly and it automates it. So, what if the thing you're saying, thinking, or doing regularly is sinful? Well, then your brain is going to turn it into a habit. It will make it automatic until all of a sudden you wake up one day and realizing, realize you're sinning without even thinking about it. You're sinning without even consciously recognizing it. That's the power of habits and addictions in our lives when we're choosing sinful things. Again, Charles Dewey, he says, particularly strong habits produce addiction-like reactions so that wanting evolves into obsessive craving that can force our brains into autopilot, even in the face of strong disincentives, including loss of reputation, job, home, and family. 
When you give into a sinful choice day after day, your brain will automate it. So that's how God designed your brain. It will turn it into a bad habit that if left unchecked will grow into an addiction that begins to control you. It will begin to destroy you and it will happen without you even thinking about it. So bad news of habits is it can turn into addiction. So let's define addiction for a moment. Let's make sure we understand that word. I want to give you a couple different definitions. We'll start with the medical definition of an addiction. An addiction is a chronic brain disease that is progressive and can be fatal. It's important to see the D word there, disease. An addiction is not just bad moral character. No, no, no. An addiction is an actual disease. It begins to distort how you think, how you feel, how you perceive reality. It can lead you to do things that are illogical and self self-destructive, incredibly deadly disease. It affects the biology in your body. So from a medical perspective, that's what we're talking about by the word addiction. It's a disease. Now let's talk practically speaking. What does addiction actually look like in your life? Well, addiction is simply repetitive behaviors in the face of negative consequences. So an addiction is when you do something that is hurting you or someone else repetitively to the point that you, you can't stop it anymore. It's just happening. Just happening, 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 happening. I really like that broad definition there, repetitive behavior. Uh, I think sometimes we think of the addiction word and, and we pin it too exclusively to like illicit drugs or alcoholism. Those are included, but it's far bigger than that. Actually, scientists have, have discovered almost anything that's deeply enjoyable can turn into an addiction. Almost anything in the world that's enjoyable to you can turn into an addiction in your life. That can include clearly really bad things like abusing heroin all the way to things that that seem like they're no big deal, like overeating or or criticizing someone. Any of that can turn into an addiction because of, of a little system that God placed in your brain. It's called the reward system, and it's fed by a neurotransmitter called dopamine. And just, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving you like... Everything here, I'm just going to give you just the basics in case you haven't heard it before. God designed your brain so that when you, when you take a substance or, or an experience that is pleasurable, your brain releases a little bit of a chemical called dopamine and it feels good. And so your brain learns this experience or this substance felt good. And so tomorrow you wake up and you want it again. You want the dopamine hit. And so you, you begin to desire to crave that dopamine hit. But there's a problem. The amount of dopamine your brain releases for a given amount of substance or experience decreases over time. That's called desensitization. So over time, you need more of the experience or substance for the same dopamine hit. That's how addictions grow. That's why any sin that is pleasurable in its experience in the moment can turn into a full-blown Dopamine-fueled addiction okay, works that way for any kind of addiction that you're looking at. And so when we look at our society, at the culture that we live in, it's not at all hard to find examples of these destructive addiction cycles. Here in America, if you haven't been paying attention, there's an opioid crisis going on right now in America. There were 42,000 Americans who died of opioid overdose in 2016. That's more than of breast cancer. It's incredibly common. That number, though, is dwarfed by the people dying of alcoholism. Um, in uh, 88,000 people, 88,000 Americans die every year from alcohol-related causes. The Washington Post actually found that the prevalence of alcoholism in the United States rose by 49 percent in just the first decade of the 2000, 2000s. One in eight American adults now meets the diagnostic criteria for alcoholism. So it's incredibly likely you know 
an alcoholic. And yet those numbers are dwarfed by the people who are truly addicted to either pornography or digital devices. That's massive. It's swamping every other addiction. And here's the scary thing. Those numbers and those trends are pretty much the same inside this room. The church is not an addiction-free zone. You don't get a pass out of that habit-forming mechanism God designed into your brain. Your human body is much like the human body of anybody else out there. And so addiction and bad habits is just as prevalent within the churches outside of it. And so we have to know, how do we battle bad habits and addictions? That's what we're going to begin to talk about now. And I want to begin by sharing with you the two most significant passages in your Bible on the subject of habits and addiction. So I want to walk you through these two passages so you understand how God thinks about habits and and kind of the way he designed your brain to work biblically speaking. So really amazing passages. We're going to start with Romans chapter 6. Okay, so two verses, 15 and 16. Here's verse 15. It begins with a question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? That is actually a very logical question. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you are, as Paul would say, under grace, which means every time you sin, God graces you with forgiveness that exceeds your sin. You can never out-sin grace. So that logically leads us to ask, well, why not sin more and more and more and more so I get more and more and more grace? If grace will always exceed sin, then why not sin as much as I want? That's a logical question. Paul's answer is verse 16. Well, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the ones whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? His answer is ultimately slavery. Why not keep sinning so you get more grace because of slavery? And it's important to clarify here. If you have trusted in Jesus, then all of your sins are forgiven. Sin has no legal ownership of you anymore. It does not, you do not belong to sin. That's not what Paul's talking about in verse 16. When he uses the word slavery, he's not talking about legal ownership. He's talking about the slavery of habits. Paul's point is that whatever you choose to do, either sin or righteousness on a daily basis, it will own you. It will become your habit that you do automatically. It will have power over you. Paul is talking about that habit-forming mechanism that God designed into your body. It will end up having power over you, whatever you choose to do day after day. And so let's take the example of sin. What if you choose to give in to a particular sin day after day? Well, Paul's point is that sin will eventually own you because it will become a habit that will grow into an addiction that is incredibly hard to resist. You will not be able to say no to it. It will begin to rewire the pathway in your brain. And it's important to understand that God designed what we're talking about in Romans 6 into the biology of your brain. It just took us 2,000 years to get to the science behind it. But Paul was already talking about the realities that scientists now see in the structure of your brain. When you choose, so let's, let's kind of talk about how it works. When you choose a path, I'm going I'm to choose option A, I'm going to walk down this path. When you do that today, and then you do that tomorrow, And then you do that the next day. There is a neural pathway in your brain. Neurons connected together that grows stronger. That's how your brain works. That's how habit forms. They grow stronger and stronger and stronger until it becomes more inevitable that you will go down that path tomorrow. 
When I try to explain how the brain works to people, and again, I'm not an expert. This is just layman's terms. I like to think of it back when I was a kid. I lived in kind of this countryish neighborhood, and at the back of the neighborhood was a lot of undeveloped forest land. So think about like dense oak trees and yopons and sticker burrs. It was just solid forest. And when I was young, it was fun for us boys to kind of ride our bikes out there and cut trails through the woods. That's kind of the thing to do. And so think about what it's like to cut a trail through dense woodland. Okay, so the first day you try to cut that trail, it's really hard, right? It's really slow. You're getting scraped up. You're getting pricked by stickers. You're having to push everything out of the way. It's really hard. So you do that today, and then you go home, and you come back out the next day, and you go down that exact same path you're cutting. And guess what? It's, it's a little bit easier because you broke a couple branches out of the way. You, you tamped down a few weeds. And so you walk it the next day, and you walk it the next day, and you walk it the next day. And eventually, all the branches are pushed out. All the, the thorns are cleared out. The weeds are gone. You can run down that path. That is exactly how your brain works. When you choose to walk down a path day after day after day, you strengthen the neural connections that lead down that path until it becomes incredibly easy, actually automatic. So that's how bad habits form in your life. Whatever you choose to do, if it's sin day after day after day, it will eventually become an addiction. And that leads to something we just have to face, a reality that so many of us have not come to grips with. There are no pet sins. There is no amount of sin in your life you can manage. Why? Because all sin is inherently addictive because that's how God designed your brain to work. Every sin is inherently addictive. It's not just taking heroin. Any sin you give into day after day after day will grow into a habit that will become an addiction that will destroy you. So there is no sin you can allow in your life. Hey, I can manage a sin. It's my pet sin. No, sin masters anyone who practices it, even the Christian. We must face that reality. I love how Tim Keller put it. All sin is addiction. I completely agree with that. Whether it's bitterness, envy, materialism, laziness, impurity, every sinful action becomes an addiction and every sinful action brings into your life a power that operates exactly like addiction cycles. That same reward mechanism, dopamine hits, neural pathways, stringing, all of that plays out when you give in to any sin day after day after day. It becomes a habit that grows into an addiction. And Paul tells you what you're going to get in the end. You're going to get death. That is the unavoidable outcome of addiction. And, and by death, I don't think he means hell. I think he means like literally death. If you give in to alcoholism, if you give in to drug abuse, if you give in to sexual sin, it can lead you down a path that eventually takes your life or at least it destroys your life. You're, it destroys your relationships, everybody you care about, your finances, your career. It leaves Death and destruction in its wake. That is the unavoidable outcome of allowing addiction to grow in your life. But there is good news in this verse. Because the exact same process can work in the opposite direction. Paul says there's another pathway here. You can choose obedience. And if you choose obedience today, and you choose it tomorrow, you choose it the next day, you choose it the next day, it will eventually grow into godly habits. And the result of godly habits, Paul says, is sanctification. It's righteousness, growth and righteousness. You become more and more like Jesus. Your character is transformed as those godly habits have their effect in you. And so as Paul's point is, you will be owned by something. Everyone in this room is a slave. You just get to choose which you are a slave of, either righteousness or sin. 
And you choose by the daily choices you make each and every day. Whether you choose to walk down the path of sin day after day, then it will own you. Or obedience day after day, then it will own you. You get to control what activities will be automated by your brain. So make sure they are righteous activities, right? Okay, so that's Romans 6. Now, if the only passage we read was Romans 6, and it would feel like in this battle with habits and addictions, it's all about our choices. Well, our choices are really important. But if you are a believer, then there is someone else at work in this equation. And that's what Philippians 2 brings out. So the next passage, I love this passage, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Here's verse 12. Paul says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is, this is our part in the equation. What do we need to do? We need to keep obeying at all times. We need to keep obeying. That's what Paul means by working out your salvation. You are working out the effects of your salvation from sin by turning away from sin in every area of life, submitting more and more of your life to the lordship of Jesus. So that's your part. You need to keep obeying, but you are not alone. Because there's verse 13. Verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you are a believer, then when you choose obedience, you are not alone. God is working in you, and God is doing two things, according to Paul. Let's take the last thing there, to work. When it says that God is is in you so that you work for his good pleasure, the point is God is at work in you to empower your obedience. When you say, yes, God, I want to obey, help me. God is there. His Holy Spirit is in you. Almighty God is in you to empower your obedience, to enable you to obey. That's actually the subject of a very famous verse. Many of you have memorized this. If you haven't, it's a good one to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The point is, God is more powerful than your addiction or your bad habit. He is in you. He can empower you to obey. Now, we do have to be careful with this verse. When we read this verse, it is not saying to us that if you struggle with an addiction, all you need is more faith and you will perfectly obey God. That, that's not what God is saying. God wants us to use every tool he gives us to win a victory over a bad habit or an addiction. And for many of us, that's going to include accountability groups. It's going to include experts like doctors. It's going to include treatment facilities. It's going to include medicine. It's going to include life changes, career, all kinds of things, all kinds of tools that God might bring into our lives to help us win the victory. So I think that what 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is really saying to us is that there is always hope for a Christian, no matter how far you've fallen into a bad habit or an addiction, you can get better because you are not alone. God is in you. And if you will say yes to God and you will make use of the tools we're talking about this morning to walk in victory, God can empower you and enable you to obey. So really good news in this first part. But, but remember, there was a second part. God is working in you not only to will, to empower you to obey, but he's also at work in you to will. That's kind of weird to say, to will, to do what pleases him. When the Greek, when the Bible talks about to will, it means to desire. 
And what Paul's saying is that as God works in you, he's not just empowering your obedience, enabling you to obey, but he's also at work to change your desires so that you want to obey in the future. And I love this because so many people misunderstand what Christianity is all about. So many people that you go to work with and school with and live next to, they think Christianity at its core is a list of rules designed to keep you from doing what you really want to do. That couldn't be further from the truth. What is Christianity? It is, transform, it is transforming you to want to do what is actually good for you. That's what God wants. That's what Christianity is about. He does not want you to live a life of, of dutiful obligation. He wants to transform you so that you actually begin to love what he loves. He wants to transform you so that you want what he wants. That's the incredibly good news. So God is at work in you. As you say yes in obedience to God, his spirit works within the biology he created within your brain to begin to change your desires so that you begin to want to do what is actually good for you and what God is pleased by. And so back to our forest illustration. Okay, so let's say that my friends and I, we have cut a path over many weeks to the right. And it's, it is so, I could run through that path. That's what I've been doing for a long time. But one day I wake up and I say, I don't want to go down that path anymore. I don't want to do that. It's easy. I can do it automatically. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to cut a new path to the left. Well, how hard is it the first day? Really hard. There's no path there. I got to cut the path. I'm getting cut up. I'm getting beat up by branches and thorns. And so it's really hard that first day. I sweat and I, I get through it. And then the next day I said, I, I still, I want to make this new choice to the left. And so I go again. Now it's a tiny bit easier because there are a few branches broken out of the way. And, and the next day I wake up and I said, I'm going to keep going this way. And now the weeds are getting, getting trampled down and the thorns are getting pulled out and the branches are all getting broken out of the way. And a month later, now my new path to the left, it is easy. I can run down that path. What's happened to the path on the right? I haven't walked down it in a month. So what do forests do? They keep growing. Branches start to grow back in. Thorns have started to grow up. Weeds have started to grow up. Now it's not so easy to go down the path to the right anymore. It's exactly how your brain works. As the Spirit empowers you towards a new good habit of righteousness. What is God doing? He takes that neural pathway highway that was so easy to run down, that led you to sin. And because you're not practicing it day after day, guess what happens to those neural connections? They atrophy. Just like a muscle that's not worked. They get weaker and weaker and weaker, and that sinful path that you used to walk down, the appeal of it lessens. That doesn't mean it's necessarily going to ever completely go away until Jesus comes back, but it gets less and less strong over you. And in contrast, this new pathway towards righteousness, it gets easier and easier and easier because it's becoming your new good habit. That's the incredibly good news about what God is doing in you. As you say yes in obedience today, he will enable you to obey and he will also begin through his spirit and the biology he programmed into your brain to change the wiring in your brain so that you want obedience more tomorrow. What an incredible design God has placed inside of you that he can use to transform you and move you away from addiction and into righteous character and behavior. So incredibly good news. We, we are always, there's always hope for us as believers because God is at work in us. So those are the two most significant passages that I find in scripture. They tell us that there is always hope for the believer because God can work powerfully in us to pull us away from an addiction and build new godly habits for us. But now let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts. Practically speaking, what do you need to start doing today 
to overcome an addiction and to grow in righteous habits. I'm going to give you four very practical steps. And if you've been paying attention while I've been here the last four weeks, you already know the first one. It is talk about it. Always the first step. An addiction or bad habit that's left in the dark will consume you. There is no exception to that rule. A bad habit or an addiction that is kept in private, that is hidden in the dark, it will master you. It will own you. You will never defeat it. The first step is you have to talk about it. First of all, of course, with God. You're not going to surprise him or shock him. But second, you've got to talk about it with other people. You've got to be open and honest. doesn't I mean you have to tell everybody, but you've got to tell somebody. And, and at the first step, first level, that means it's accountability. You've got to talk to other believers who will pray for you, who will ask you how you're doing, who will hold you accountable. And let me just be really clear. That's not something you ever outgrow or become too old for. I've been a pastor for 15 years now. I still meet weekly with my accountability partners. My dad has been a Christian longer than I've been alive. He's in his 70s now. He still meets weekly for accountability got to do that till you die. So you have accountability of people you're open and honest with who can hold you accountable and encourage you. If you see that in your life there is a really bad habit or an addiction that's really been owning you, I'm going to encourage you to go further and join a recovery group. A recovery group helps you to grow in victory over that addiction. We have two of them here at Grace Bible Church. There's many others in the community, so you don't have to do one of these. But, but two really great ones here at Grace. The first is Celebrate Recovery. It is a biblically-based, Christ-centered recovery program that helps people to overcome a a bad habit or a hang-up or a hurt in their past. It meets at Southwood at 6.30 on Tuesday nights. And, And by Tuesday, I mean every single Tuesday. Even if it's on Christmas, they'll meet. Every Tuesday, they'll meet. 6.30 for a light dinner, 7 p.m. big group starts. It's an incredibly accepting, grace-filled place where you will meet others who have grown in victory over the same addiction or bad habit you're struggling with. They will will show you the path to grow in victory. Incredibly God-centered and encouraging place to be. So Celebrate Recovery will actually be a representative up here after the service. I'd love to have you check that out. It's actually a national program, so you can find out a lot more online about Celebrate Recovery. The second group is called The Landing. It's basically Celebrate Recovery for teenagers who are struggling with a bad habit, an addiction, a hang-up, a hurt. It also meets on Southwood on Tuesday evenings at 7 in a different part of the church, but it's a safe, grace-filled place for teenagers to find help. Really encourage you to check out and make use of one of these recovery programs. Now, if you or someone you love is in the throes of an addiction right now that is having a really powerful effect on, like, on, on your medical health or your career, whatever it might be, I mean, you should do this. You, also, you need to go talk to a doctor or a counselor immediately. Do not, do not ignore a destructive addiction. Get help. If you have to intervene, do that. Actually, yesterday on Facebook, I listed a whole bunch of resources available here in the Brazos Valley and nationally. A friend of mine shared those with me. Go check out my Facebook post. You will see all kinds of different organizations that that treat all sorts of different chemical dependencies, drug dependencies, or any kind of addiction or bad habit. Uh, there's resources both for the person who's struggling with the addiction as well as um, parents or a spouse or friends who are around them, how they can help. Incredible resources out there. Please check those out. Familiarize yourself. Don't ignore it any longer. Okay, so the first step in finding hope and help against an addiction is to talk about it. Second step. Find and fill a hole. There's a famous quote 
attributed to the great writer G.K. Chesterton, everyone who knocks on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. And what he meant by that is that ultimately when we think about whatever sin we're giving into, whatever sin it might be, ultimately all of us are looking to fill some legitimate need deep down in our soul in an illegitimate way. Ultimately, that's, that's what's behind every sin. There's some need that's good, that's righteous, that we're trying to fill in an unrighteous way. So I'll give you an example. What about the man or the woman who is looking habitually at pornography? Why? Why is that happening? Oh, there's a lot of possible reasons for that. Maybe this man or woman craves intimacy. They just want to they want to have intimacy with, with someone else. Well, guess what? That's a that's a legitimate need. God designed that desire into you. God likes that desire. But you're taking a shortcut because intimacy is hard. It it takes time. You're shortcutting it through pornography. Or maybe they're just really stressed out. Life is really hard. They feel a lot of grief, a lot of pain. And so they're using pornography to dull that pain. Well, you need relief from stress and pain, but pornography is not the right way. Or maybe what it is, they just want to feel valuable. They want to feel desirable. And, and somehow pornography is meeting that need. Well, that's a good desire to feel desirable, to feel valued. You're just trying to meet it in an illegitimate way. That's so common. That we choose some sinful behavior that turns into a habit or an addiction because we were trying to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. If you are struggling with a bad habit or an addiction, I'm going to encourage you to prayerfully spend some time thinking about what is it that I'm really trying to satisfy with this sinful choice? What is the legitimate need in me that God put there that I'm trying to satisfy in this destructive way? That's actually a big part of my counseling with men who are struggling with a bad habit or an addiction who come to talk with me. We'll talk about a number of things, but one of the most important things that I will tell them is that success, victory, growth is not just about not doing the bad thing. Just as important is finding new, good, godly things with which to fill your life. You will never overcome without that. And so we talk about, are you involved in a small group Bible study? Are you involved with Celebrate Recovery? Are, are you serving in the community or the church using your gifts to help people? Can we get you out on a mission trip so you can see God's love for the nations? Do you have a, a hobby in your life where you're learning and growing and meeting new people? Let's fill your life with good and godly things. And that will help the addictive sin to become at least a little less attractive to you. Okay, so find and fill the hole deep in your soul in a legitimate way. Third practical step, eliminate the triggers. Every bad habit and addiction starts with one or more triggers. And this has actually been scientifically proven with fMRI machines looking at people's brains. An alcoholic, do you know that the part of his brain that's going to lead him to take a drink, it can be triggered simply by the sound of an ice cube falling into a heavy glass. Just that sound. Can be triggered by smelling someone pouring beer. Boom, that part of his brain lights up and he begins to crave alcohol. Well, that's, that's how all addiction works. That's how all bad habits work. There are triggers that set us off. And so if you want to avoid going down the path and sinning, it's best to stop things at the trigger stage whenever possible. If you can cut off a behavior at the trigger stage, that's going to make it a whole lot easier. I like to think of, of a bad habit or addiction like a snowball rolling down the side of a mountain. So at the top, think about it. It's, a, it's just a little snowball, just this big, not very heavy, not moving very fast, just rolling nice and slow, hardly any momentum. You can stop it with your pinky. 
But by the time it's rolled all the way down the, mo- the mountain and it's picked up all that snow, now it's heavy, now it's moving fast, now it's got so much momentum that you cannot stop it, it will knock you over. Well, that's how addiction plays out. If you want to stop the snowball, where should you stop it? At the top. Much, much harder at the bottom. And so practically speaking, if there is a bad habit or an addiction in your life or in the life of someone you care about, you need to think about the triggers. And, and again, a doctor or a counselor can help you with that. Celebrate recovery can help you with that. Identify the triggers and then whenever possible, eliminate them. So for the alcoholic we talked about, he or she may have to avoid certain restaurants or certain groups of friends where they're going to hear ice dropping in a heavy glass, where they're going to smell beer. They may have to stay away from that. So that they can cut off the behavior at the trigger stage. Now that's not a guaranteed solution because you can't always control the circumstances of your life and you still have to resist, but it can help incredibly. Okay, so eliminate the triggers whenever possible. Fourth, and let me get to this one as the men head back to prepare communion. Let's talk about this fourth step. We need to make sure that we do not define ourselves by an addiction or bad habit. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm guessing that all of you are at least reasonably familiar with what happens at an Alcoholic Anonymous meeting, right? You've either been to one or you've seen it on TV or a movie. So picture an AA meeting. And at some point, somebody from from the group is going to stand up in front of everybody and begin to talk. And what is the first thing he or she is going to say every time? Hello, I am Bob and I am an alcoholic. Now, let me be clear. AA is incredibly good. It has helped so many people. Great program. And it's really good that Bob is owning up to his addiction. That, that's important. We got we to talk openly about it. So all of that is really good. We just have to be really careful that we acknowledge that for Bob, his primary identity is not his addiction. We have to remember that. Your addiction is not what defines you in the eyes of God. Let's say that Bob is a believer. What is his identity? Hello, I'm Bob. I'm a child of God made in the image of God, forgiven by God, and I happen to be an alcoholic. Now, Again, he's he's talked about being an alcoholic, but it's noticing the priority there. It's seeing the whole picture and recognizing that his battle with alcohol does not define him. That is not who or what he is primarily in the eyes of God. That's essential because if you define yourself primarily by your bad habit or addiction, you are giving it far too much power in your life. It does not deserve that kind of power. It does not define you in the eyes of God. If you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, your primary identity is a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God. And that trumps all else. And that does not change. Even if you give in to your addiction tonight, that will not change the fact that your primary identity is a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God. And, and there is no limit to that truth. And I think sometimes as Christians we forget that. We think that God is up there in heaven saying, well, I will allow you to get drunk 999 times, but one more than that and I'm done with you. No. Do you realize that actually Jesus has already died for every time you will ever give in to that bad habit or addiction? But Jesus has already died for every time you'll give in to an addiction you don't even know you're going to have yet. Why? Because God stands above time. When Jesus died for sin, he died for sin. There was no past, present, or future. He died for it all. That's the great news we celebrate in communion. Your addiction can't change the fact that you're a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God. Because when Jesus died for you, he already died for every single instance of failure you will ever have, even the ones you don't know about. 
So there is never a time in which your addiction begins to define you in the eyes of God. He's already seen it all. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for it all. So if you struggle with a bad habit or an addiction, I want you to own up to that. I want you to confess that to other people in your life, to to find a recovery group, to get help. However, I want you to remember and constantly remind yourself that no matter how bad or shameful that addiction is, it does not define you. You are a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God, and that trumps all else. So as the men come forward to hand out communion, I want you to take the next few minutes and just give thanks to Jesus that when he died on the cross, he died for all your sin, past, present, and future, period. I want you to give thanks that there's nothing you could ever do, no bad habit or addiction you could ever fall in that would change the fact That if you've trusted in Jesus, you are a child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God. And that trumps everything else. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you chose to die for all of our sin, even the sin that we don't know we're going to commit yet. There is no past, present, or future with you. You died for it all. And we praise you for that. We thank you for the hope that there is. We thank you that because of your death for us, Lord Jesus, that we know that our primary identity in the eyes of your Father is child of God, made in the image of God, beloved and forgiven by God. We praise you that nothing can change that. We do pray, though, for any of us here this morning, Lord, who are struggling with a bad habit or an addiction, which, to be honest, is either all of us or will at some point in life be all of us. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be humble enough to talk with others, to get the help that we need. We pray that you would help us to do the hard work of eliminating the triggers where we can and and of finding new, good, legitimate ways to fill those deep needs in our soul. But we pray that most importantly, for anyone here this morning who is weighed down by the guilt of a bad habit or an addiction, we pray that they would know that in you, Lord Jesus, they are beloved and forgiven. That is primarily who they are and nothing can change that. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, if you'll stand, let's conclude in worship together.